Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. This is the reading of God's word. It's good to see everybody here today. Uh, Merry Christmas. Hopefully, uh, you know, it's a little warm today that you still are in the Christmas spirit. Um, and that uh, you'll be able to spend some time with family and friends uh, the rest of this week and the rest of the holidays. Um, it is our Christmas service, and uh, this sermon is going to be relatively short. And after the sermon, there will be, I think, a special little presentation that we do every year for Day Spring. And so you can um, stay tuned for that. But uh, the, the passage that was just read to us by Hannah it describes in Matthew 2 one of two accounts of the birth of Jesus Christ. When you think about Christmas and you think about the birth of Christ, you see it on people's front yards, the, the nativity scene. And oftentimes when you see the nativity scene, there is a manger, uh, maybe a baby in the manger. There's a Mary and a Joseph in the scene. And then you see shepherds. And then you also see wise men, usually three, right? Typical nativity scene that we see that we display, that, that we see pictures of during Christmas time. But what I want to do today is look at this, because when you look at the birth of Christ, there are only two accounts in the Bible. The Gospel of Luke chapter 2, and then here in our passage, Matthew chapter 2. And you compare these two accounts of the, uh, of, of the birth of Christ, there are similarities, but there's different emphases on how Jesus was born, or how people knew that Jesus was going to be born. The similarities are simple. When you look at Luke chapter 2 and Matthew 2, uh, both report that Jesus' mother was named Mary. Both Luke and Matthew report that Jesus' adoptive father was named Joseph. Both report that Jesus was supernaturally born of a virgin. Both Gospel of Matthew and Luke identify Jesus as a descendant of David both say that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and both report that he eventually ends up in Nazareth. And so these are the similarities that both of these accounts have. But we, when, that's as far as it goes. When you look at the differences, though, the emphases are different, and I think I want you to remember this. The difference here is this. Not that there are two conflicting accounts of how Jesus was born, 
But there's a two different emphases to share the same thing. Namely, that the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to different people in different ways. Quickly, if you remember Luke chapter 2, how did the people find Jesus? There was an angel of the Lord, right, that says, unto you this day is born a Savior. But who did the angels appear to first in the Gospel of Luke? Shepherds. Shepherds. Now, I don't know if you remember, but shepherds, at least in Jewish society, are at the bottom of the totem pole, right? You can consider them the worst of people. In terms of job, they were probably the lowest income class. Nobody really wanted to be a shepherd. You were a shepherd because you couldn't do anything else. It was a dirty job. It was 24-7 kind of job. Nobody really cared about shepherds. And I know that when you think about shepherds, you think of you know, godly men with long beards and a staff, and they, they seem like a big prominent person in the Bible. But real, realistically, in Jewish times, that's not what it was. And yet, when you look at Luke's gospel, the message that the Messiah, that Jesus, the Savior of the world, is going to be born, is given first to those shepherds. I mean, if you think about it today, literally that's the last people you would want to go to. Because if you had this huge news about the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, if that was a huge news and you wanted everybody to know, the last people you would go to are shepherds. You'd probably want to say that we need to get this message out to the most people we can, that Jesus is coming. We need to go to the people with the greatest influence. We want to go to the influencers of the world. We want to go to the people who are the movers and the shakers of the world. We want to go to people who have the ears of the world because that's how you get the news out. That's how the world works, and that's how some churches work. So when the Messiah comes, when Jesus is born, they give this message to the most unlikely group of people. And it tells us, I think Luke is trying to show us, that when Jesus is born, he's not coming to the influencers of the world. He's not coming to the people who are on the up and up and the inside. When Jesus comes, Luke is trying to say he's coming to the poor. He's coming to the lowly. He's coming to the meek, the afflicted. He's coming to the brokenhearted. He's coming to the captives and the prisoners. And he's coming to shepherds. And when you read the Gospel of John, who is Jesus? He is the good shepherd. He's their Lord, and he's their Savior. And so that's what Luke seems to emphasize in his account on the birth of Christ, that you have a Savior who's coming not just for people who are at the top of the class, but you have a Jesus who's coming for people who are also at the bottom of the class, even shepherds. But here in the passage we just read, in Matthew 2, we have an account of something that you don't see anywhere else. We have a story of the wise men. Remember the wise men? We usually think three, but the Bible doesn't say how many there were. Who exactly are these wise men? Different people, different ways that the gospel comes. And they are different from Luke's shepherds. A couple of things. These wise men, if you look at Matthew 2 that was just read, these wise men, they were not Jewish. They were Gentiles. They were foreigners. According to verse 1 in our passage, they're from the east, most likely ancient Babylon, Mesopotamia. 
They're not from around the area. On the socioeconomic ladder, compared to these shepherds of Luke, they were pretty high up because they often served as advisors to kings. And this is why it seems like they have some access to King Herod in our passage. Not only do they have status, these wise men, but economically, they were probably rich. You read the last passage, verse in our passage, verse 11, what did they do when they see Jesus in, in, as a baby? They opened up their treasures. That's what Matthew says. So in Matthew chapter 2, you've got a difference here. You've got different kind of people that are different from the shepherds of Gospel of Luke. And here's the thing. How did the wise men find baby Jesus? There wasn't an angel that made an announcement to them. Another translation for wise men is this, uh, magi. You heard that word before, magi? You know what magi are? Magi are basically astrologers. Right? Listen carefully, astrologers. You know what astrology is, right? It's in our culture, it's what we people do when they talk about the horoscope. So you've got foreign astrologers who are trying to find Jesus, and in our passage today, this is why, verse 2, they saw a star. Verse 7, Herod asked for a star. Verse 9, they followed a star. Verse 10, they saw a star and they rejoiced. These wise men were astrologers. And of course then, they're looking at the stars and they're led by a star. Now you know where we get this idea of the star of Bethlehem. The gospel of Jesus comes to different people in different ways. And by the way, unlike the nativity scene, in our passage in verse 11, these magi, the wise men, they say they go into the house, which means that Jesus is no longer at the manger, Luke chapter 2. So the nativity scene is wrong because there is no wise men and shepherds in the same place. These are two different occurrences. The wise men come to this house after the manger. There's probably been a year after the shepherds saw them, maybe even more. But notice the difference here, okay, compared to Luke. Different people, different ways. In Luke, Jewish shepherds, an angel, and a manger. In Matthew chapter 2, our passage, foreigners, magi, a star, and a house. And what's interesting here is in Matthew is this. We have to ask, why would Matthew introduce Jesus this way? Because early Christianity and pre-Christian times was very Jewish. Matthew, the author of this gospel, is Jewish. The whole Old Testament in Hebrew is Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. And if you think about this in regards to that, Luke, we could say, did a better job. Because here, the angel of God, very Jewish idea, comes to humble Jewish shepherds, right? He doesn't go to some bougie, pagan foreigner who follows astrology. It's kind of weird if you think about how, God, how Matthew does this. It almost sounds non-Christian to say that these foreign astrologists found the baby Jesus. It's the wrong kind of people to introduce baby Jesus. So we've got to ask the question, if Jesus was the prophesied king of the Jews, if Jesus was the prophesied Messiah, did these wise men, did these magi really know who they were meeting? 
Did they really know what they were doing? The one thing here in this passage in Matthew is this. The one thing they do that no one else does is they bring gifts. They bring gifts. And maybe this is where the tradition of gift-giving on Christmas started. I don't know. But they're, they're, they're the only ones that actually brought gifts to, to Jesus Christ. And they were expensive gifts. And what did they give? We're told in our passage, these magi, these wise men, according to verse 11, they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You ever get a gift, maybe you're going to get one tomorrow, and think, oh, this is nice, but why? Right? What am I going to do with this? I do that every year. That's why they don't give me gifts anymore. Uh, here's Jesus. He's still a, a baby. He doesn't get diapers, right? He, he doesn't get formula. He, he doesn't get baby clothes or shoes. What does he get? Christmas morning, he gets gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you have to ask, what's he going to do with that? What's a baby going to do with all this stuff? Did these magi have any idea who they came to meet? Did they understand what Jesus meant and what he came to do? Now here's where we need to do a little more deeper reading. And let's look at these gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold. You read Genesis chapter 13, you read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Gold was a chief measure of wealth. And because of its value and scarcity, gold was associated with royalty and nobility. This is why when you read 1 Kings chapter 10, the queen of Sheba visits King Solomon, and what does she do? She gives him a bunch of gold. So by bringing gold, these wise men, maybe they considered Jesus a king. But here's something even more. When you read the Old Testament, you read about the temple of God. And in the temple of God, there's a special room called the Holy of Holies. And in this room, they believed it was the presence of the living God. And in that room, a high priest would offer a sacrifice for the sins of his people. Here's baby Jesus. His name is Emmanuel. God with us, the presence of God, and he will make a sacrifice for the sins of his people by going to the cross. Could it be that the wise men had this connection in mind? Because according to 1 Kings chapter 6, that holy of holies, that room in the temple, was made completely of gold. Maybe. Maybe not. Frankincense. What's frankincense? It's an incense. It creates a strong aroma, kind of like the candles you light up in the bathroom when you're doing your business. Oftentimes you burned incense, and oftentimes they burned incense as a part of worship to a god, a deity. So maybe the wise men had this in mind. We'll bring in frankincense because there is a deity. But here's the thing. In the Jewish temple, when you read Exodus chapter 30, and they got ready to make a sacrifice. They burned incense. And according to Exodus 30, the only kind of incense permitted at the altar of sacrifice to represent pure and holy sacrifice was, guess what? 
frankincense. Maybe the wise men had an idea that when they gave Jesus frankincense as a gift, he would be the pure and holy offering to the Lord. And then they gave him myrrh. What's myrrh? Myrrh is also like an incense, like frankincense, but myrrh is oftentimes used as a perfume or an oil. But again, you read Exodus, and you're told that myrrh was the main ingredient to prepare priests and the altar and the temple to make a sacrifice. And myrrh was especially used to prepare bodies for burial. So when you read the Gospel of John chapter 19, Nicodemus takes the body of Christ after the cross and uses what? Myrrh to prepare the body of Jesus for burial. Perhaps, perhaps, the wise men intended this gift to signify that maybe they knew that this baby would one day die for them. Gold, he's a king. Frankincense, pure and holy aroma of offering. Myrrh, embalming, anointing for burial. The question is, did these foreign, rich, pagan astrologers know what these all meant when they gave Jesus these gifts? I'm not sure. We're not told if they knew everything. But here's the thing. I think Matthew deliberately writes this in his account because Matthew knew, Matthew knew that these magi were the wrong kind of people to introduce Jesus Christ. Matthew knew that at least in the eyes of Jews, these people were the wrong kind of people to introduce the birth of Christ. But Matthew also knew what a lot of his local Jewish friends failed to understand, that by the grace of God, it's oftentimes the wrong people that can understand who Jesus really is It's oftentimes the wrong people that really seem to get him, and it's the right people, the ones we think should get it, that don't have a clue. What do these magi do in verse 11? They go into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. From the very beginning of his gospel to the very end, Matthew knew that Israel and the Jewish nation was never going to be the stopping point for grace. Matthew knew what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 60, that the nations will come to him. And then chapter uh, chapter 60, verse 6, the nations will come, but they will not be empty-handed. They will bring what? Gold and frankincense and shall bring good news and praise to the Lord. Isaiah 60, verse 6. And this is why Matthew ends his gospel with the very famous verses from the last chapter. All authority on heaven has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make what? Disciples of all the nations. Matthew chapter 2. Nations, Gentiles. Matthew 28. Go and make disciples teaching them everything that I've commanded, and I'm with you to the end of the age. Do you see this? 
if the Gospel of Luke is trying to show the birth of Jesus, that it's the depth of how the Gospel goes, from the lowest to the highest. But in Matthew, it's not just the depth, now it's the breadth. Not just the Jewish nation, now all the nations. This is why when the angels come to the shepherds, what did they sing? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace with the men whom he is well pleased. Do you see this? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men with whom he is pleased. From the highest to the lowest, from heaven to earth, from God to man, from the strongest to the weakest, from the most esteemed to the least acknowledged, from rich wise men to even poor shepherds, is the birth of a Savior, a King, who is the Alpha and the Omega over heaven and earth and everything in between. In other words, here's a Savior that's not just for the rich and powerful, but the poor and disenfranchised. He's not just for the reputable and respected, but also for the outcast and the dregs of society. He's not just for one nation, but now he's for all the nations. Born here as a king, a different kind of king for all peoples, a savior for all times, who loves the worst as much as the best. And the good news is this. Between those two extremes is where we belong is where you and I are. You are here today because Jesus was born and he received gold because he's your merciful king. You are here today because Jesus received frankincense. He's the fragrance of pure and holy offering for your life. And you are here today because baby Jesus received myrrh, an oil that prepares him for a burial. Why? Because he will give his life for you. And this is why we can sing today on every Christmas day, joy to the world because the Lord is come. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So we sing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men with whom he is well pleased. Friends, if you're looking for the Christmas gift of the year, you've got to remember, you've been given the gift of life. You've been given God himself. And you've been given God himself because Jesus Christ received these gifts as a baby that would point to what he would do for us now and forevermore. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, this is a season in our culture where we get to enjoy uh, not just family and friends, but food and, and, and gifts and uh, drink and all the things that we get to enjoy. But Lord, 
uh, if we take time to remember what you've already given, that no gift can compare to yours, that all the gifts in the world that was given to you pale in comparison to the gift you've given to us. And so, Lord, as we pray and as we continue out through the rest of this year, we pray you remind us of the greatest gift you've given in your Son, Jesus Christ, that born to us today, indeed, was a Savior who would give all and all that he is so that we might have the gift of life. And so we pray, Father, that as we continue in our service, and not just in our service, but in our life, teach us what it means to be grateful, teach us what it means to give like we've been given, teach us to understand how much it is you've loved, not just us, but people around the world, around the nations, and of all kinds. And we pray that you would give us hope and joy for the birth of a Savior, and we sing glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to men. In Christ's name we pray, amen.